0: Hey, kids. Welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio, and our guest this month is Ithaca playwright David Gasparri. Now, full disclosure, David and I are friends. We have worked together on many occasions. We are both members of the Wolf's Mouth Theater Company. Now, normally when you talk about playwriting, you talk about the creative side of things, and the whole right brain, left brain uh, creative mind versus analyst side uh, issue. You know, the creative side is the imaginative side. It takes you on all these flights of fancy down the, down these theoretical journeys of stories and plays and, and none such what. David is certainly that. His plays are highly creative. Uh, but he's also a math logician and watching the two mix within his work is always a pleasure. He takes what seems to be a, a, a comedyless uh, subject, historical figures, scientific um, theorems and such, and finds the humor in these things. And I wanted to, I wanted to talk to David uh, about this. David agreed to take some time out of his very busy schedule. So we sat down and had ourselves a really fun conversation, as you'll see. A lot of your work is um, based on either historical or scientific themes, um, which we don't generally see a whole lot of. And when we do see a, when we do see it, it generally takes a, a backseat to the rest of the plot. When you know things like Proof or Copenhagen is science funny. And if so, how does one make science funny? Where's the humor in it?
1: Well, I kind of like, I guess what in Hollywood would be called high-concept things. So, you know, a striking situation, something like that, and then, and then working out its consequences. So, <clears throat> I guess, you know, I think any odd situation can be funny. As a preface to this conversation, I thought a little bit, whether are there different ma- mental muscles that are used doing a piece of mathematics or writing play or writing a piece of fiction or something like that you know sometimes people say well writing a <clears throat> play is creative but uh science is not and you know creative is a is a nonsense where i mean it usually doesn't mean much these days if creative means novel, imaginative, bold, surprising, you know, technically dazzling Then it applies to science as much as it applies to, to a piece of art or a piece of writing.
0: All right, but can, can we argue that artists make stuff up as they go along based on fact whereas scientists and mathematicians uncover what's already there? It's a, there's a fine difference, and people can say, well, one is creative and one is just merely investigatory.
1: Now, I suppose, I mean, the difference might be something like, th- this is not a deep remark, might be something like in a piece of science, the connective tissue is always some kind of reasoning. And in a piece of art, it's some kind of something metaphorical or figurative. At least that's, that's, that seems to me an important part of it. You know. <clears throat> now, when Aristotle is talking about, about, about drama and about the, the sort of language of it, he, he emphasizes metaphor he says that's the key thing that's the thing that can't be taught so s- something like that some kind of mental muscles that produce metaphors or figurative language I guess is the distinction.
0: He wrote the poetics and has been taught here and there and I, I teach him myself when I do a, a basic playwriting class and I usually list the six steps which you know Plot, character, spectacle, metaphor, song, and whatever the last one is. And I usually disagree with Aristotle on the order of things. He puts uh, uh, plot first. I usually put character first. What's, uh, how do you see that? Okay.
1: Yeah, well, I think the, the point for him, and I, you, you, I think you will agree with this, assuming this is the right interpretation, that um, he says that a play presents an action. I mean, the overall thing is an action and individually it's a series of actions and and the actions reveal character. I mean, that's 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 the way he puts it. And that makes sense to me. You know, I mean, that's how things that's how things move forward. Right. It's a series of actions. Each one leads to the next. And he says that, you know, I forget. He says, no, character is for the sake of action. Something like that. That's how you, that's how you reveal yourself And an action. It reveals a choice, I guess. Typically, it reveals someone, someone moving towards something good or moving away from something bad, uh, and making yeah making a deliberative decision ultimately about about how to conduct his life.
0: Okay, we're probably talking about the same thing, but just from different sides. I would probably say so that uh, character determines the plot, as you've just intimated. Um, but without the character, you don't have a plot, and the plot, for me, becomes secondary to the, uh, the individual nature of each of the characters within the story. Let's, let's get back to, uh, as long as we're talking about characters.
1: Um, Let me back off one thing, by the way. So the, the missing thing, is the lost thing, is his book on comedy, right? So Poetics has, there's a chapter on tragedy, or that's the main part of it. And he says, uh, he talks about, He's going to get to comedy, but that part has been lost. And I feel that's a great shame since basically I only have one mode, which is comedy.
0: That is true. From most of the work I've seen you do, you have not written a, a, a drama yet.
1: I just read this the other day. Um, in fact, I was trying to class myself up for the sake of this conversation, and I read that it turns out that there is some ancient document which is regarded as somebody's summary of what was in that, what was in the book on comedy. Mm-hmm. And then scholarship went back and forth, and now there are people who say, yeah, that really is a summary. And a guy has, a couple of years ago, has published a book, something like, you know, The Lost Second Book of the Poetics, in which he's more or less doing his best to write what would have been in that book based on knowledge of Aristotle and based on that summary. So Uh, I have that on order.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Amazon's going to bring it through. (laughs)
1: That's right. (laughs)
0: Why don't, uh, do you write dramatic pieces? Most of the, whatever I've seen from you is comedy and, and things of a comedic nature. Uh, no dramas?
1: No, it's my natural, I mean, I think they, they're, they're basically comedies about failure. So, so the dramatic part is is everyone failing in the end.
0: Um, wh- wh- one of your plays, Speed Mating, comes to mind, which, uh, bring us up to speed on this, because it, that, that was a perfect intro for it.
1: So it's basically about four bugs who have just awakened after some large number of years of gestation underground, and uh, one of them, well, they only have 60 minutes to live, it turns out. One of them knows that, and the, uh, two don't, don't care one way or the other. They just want to get on with what they're supposed to do, which is make the next generation. And
0: so course- they're eager to just get in there and have some serious sex?
1: yes. And, the, uh, and then the, the fourth one sort of is kind of whiny. He sort of knows, but he doesn't really want to know. And in the end, they're all dead. Okay.
0: This is sort <laughs> of like a, a, a... It's a laugh riot. It, it, it sounds like a laugh. It's, it sounds like one of those 10-minute snuff pieces. You, uh, your bio, as, as I mentioned earlier, uh, you were trained as a pure mathematician and consider yourself to be, of all the post-19th century mathematical logicians, the funniest... What is your background when it comes to math and science?
1: Uh, that's, <clears throat> that's what I started out doing as an undergraduate and as a graduate student and as an academic. Uh, so there, there there is a subject called mathematical logic. That's what I have a PhD in. And for some number of years, I wrote papers about that kind of stuff.
0: Can't we say that all math is logical? I mean, it, it follows certain immutable rules,
1: and therefore there is a, an inherent logic to it? No, it uses logic. Math is, mathematical logic is about the logic that's used. So it started off as an essentially philosophical subject. From the time about Newton on, math was kind of a Wild West, where people did things, they used their physical intuition to keep them on the right path, but they didn't have a very solid grounding for what they were doing. Part of the great work of the 19th century was was kind of making sense of all this, but sort of in the 18th century, it was a kind of wild west, and people proved all sorts of results which weren't actually true. They needed all sorts of qualifications to be true, and sort of the 19th century sorted it out, but the question became, okay, how do we make a, a grounding for this? And so the idea of saying precisely what logic is as far as math is concerned what logic is and how you're going to use it uh became a subject how does logic appear in your work uh only in that it's in the back of my mind uh i suppose okay then uh, who's the
0: funniest character you've written about funniest character gosh historical uh, character
1: well, I mean, none of them is based. None of them is based on. Oh well, yeah. Take it back. So, so there are those. There are those three. There are those three plays, uh, real box office draws. Um, uh, about. I remember and, the houses being fairly full on these. Yeah, but no, no one, no one else has ever wanted to do them <laughs> except you. There's about three really ancient philosophers slash mathematicians. So there's, there's one about Zeno, one about um, Thales, and one about Pythagoras. Mm-hmm. And again... Why I mean, are they funny? Uh, well, they're not funny. I mean, in each case, I suppose, I suppose there's a similar thing in each case, which is that in one way or another, they're all trying to live an exalted life of the mind. And the thing about that is that it's both noble And also inherently comic, it seems to me, because you're always falling short. And the great thing about Zeno is not very much known about any of these guys, actually, any of these three guys. And so you can just take the little snippets and then make up whatever else you like. But so what I made up about Zeno was that he used to be hot stuff, but he's fallen on hard times. He has... No students left. He just has this one slacker. There's no even obvious reason why the guy wants to be his disciple. Uh, nonetheless, Zeno still clings to clings to these beliefs and their importance. Um, he has, for reasons that unexplained in the play, he has this hot young wife, but she is actually uh, two timing on him with with um, Achilles. Achilles, yes. Achilles. There's, okay,
0: yes. we got it. Thank, yeah.
1: thank you. You know. Uh, this is a function of age, right? Everything is slipping from my mind. Here. So anyway, so 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 she's having she's having an affair with Achilles, and it goes on from there. You know, he's 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 trying to hang on to, to to all these beliefs, and and he has a pet tortoise. Another one of the famous puzzles is about the race between a race between Achilles and a tortoise, and it's the same sort of thing. Uh, you give the tortoise a little bit of a head start. And so they run a little ways, and then by the time Achilles reaches the place from which the tortoise began, it's moved a little. And by the time he reaches that place, it's moved a little, so he can never catch the tortoise. And then more of the comedy is that... Did he
0: actually ever try this in real life? I mean, I mean, I understand the theoretics of this, but when you talk about logic, that's not logical at all.
1: No, I mean, I, as I understand the point, the point is to show that there really is something very puzzling about the whole idea of change. And so, you know, Zeno's master, whose name still escapes me, um, uh, had a philosophy in which basically, in which reality didn't change, okay? And what's around us is, in some sense, illusory, what, what we see, um, and in this play, then Aristotle briefly becomes a kind of disciple of Zeno, which uh, which is not good for his worldview, since he's mostly about killing people and causing causing great changes. Aristotle or Achilles? Achilles. Did I say Aristotle? I meant to, I meant Achilles. <laughs> right. Let's let's let's. I
0: want to I want to piggyback on something you you started intimating about before, and um, which I wanted to get to. Which we're talking logic. We're talking cold, hard, kind of facts, things that, that are largely without an emotive or an emotional point. And yet I do know you to be a romantic writer. Right? One of your plays, Roger and Juliet, okay, um, is in all senses of the word, a clear cut romance. Right? Um, talk about that play just a little bit. But I also want to attach that to the level of romance you generally tend to put into all of your plays I mean Zeno's wife fooling around that's you know with Achilles that's one thing there's an emotive thing in that um, and the bugs okay they've got sixty minutes to to get it on and make it happen again. That can be seen as romantic where's where's the romantic in in
1: David Gaspari? Gosh. <clears throat> Well, actually, the Roger and Juliet play—I think that's the only one. That's the only one which is, in any sense, a successful romance. You know, the, as I say, these are all about failure. So it's mostly, mostly there's about sort of yearning that falls short, yearning that doesn't succeed. <laughs> okay, so so Roger and Juliet comes closer to succeeding. So for your lovely readers or your lovely listeners. Again, yeah, I mean, it, it starts from a strange situation. Um, uh, Juliet is sitting on the ledge of a building, and then uh, across the, there's a building across the street, and Roger crawls out on that ledge. And are they both looking to end themselves? What's going on here? No, well, he's he's been he works for a company that's had uh, financial irregularities. And he sort of has drawn the short straw, and they've told him he's got to he's got to take the big the big jump. <clears throat> and uh, Juliet has this idea that she's going to learn how to fly. She's up there. She, <clears throat> she, she she has this belief that that eventually she will somehow figure out how to fly off into the sunset. And so and throughout the course of this thing, um, he, Roger becomes in one way or another. Con- con- Convinced of it. When it comes down to playwrights, and I've seen this.
0: uh, In fact, I just saw something on Facebook. They were talking about the play Almost Maine, which has copious amounts of stage directions buried within it, and the the playwright recommends that you follow them, each of them to the letter. Uh, There are plays in in the American canon, especially Eugene uh, O'Neill, that have pages and pages of stage directions. Now, with Flying, typer, flying Tiger, or Leaping Poodle, whatever that movie was, um, and your own work, Roger and Juliet, you seem to be taking a completely different tack. Um, why not exercise the control you could have as a playwright um, over what happens in the non-dialogue parts, or do you just like handing it over to a director and see what they come up with that might be interesting?
1: Well, you know the essential things are there, and here the essential thing was, um, they fly, they panic, uh, they scramble back on their ledges. You know, in the uh, in the in speed mating, um, there there are a few scenes where the the bugs are supposed to <clears throat> launch onto mating flights and attract one another. And there's one suggestion in the stage direction, just saying, you know, there's some disco-inspired twitches or something like that. But uh, in cases like that, um, you know, that's what that's what actors and directors are for. And I have I've seen speed mating done several times. Only once that I have any actual hand in putting it on, and uh, they always come up with something interesting. I mean, I think that's the point. It's just like a piece of music, right? A musical score is a set of instructions says, but it doesn't tell you how to play every note. And you know, I think the the, the modern tendency, anyway, is is to be pretty sparing of stage directions. But but that also means the ones I put down, you are supposed to do those.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they're not just uh, helpful suggestions. All right, let's let's move to a different uh, part of playwriting here. Uh, recently, you spoke out um, about. Submissions and the irregularity of all the various theater companies across uh, the nation, across Europe, wherever, that all require vastly different methods of submitting one's work. Some want blind, some want uh, separate pages with with a cover page in a different file and, and the play in a different one. And I know from my own hard drive, I have numerous, numerous variations of every single play I've ever written, all distinctly tailored for different kinds of submissions to various theaters. Um, you were talking about guidelines for guidelines and a little bit about standardization. You want, do you want to elaborate on this a little bit?
1: Okay. I mean, this, this is kind of inside baseball here, but... Well, that's, that's, what, that's what we do here, inside theater. So I, I should say, in, in a former life, I was actually involved in the question of how would you describe um, a piece of software. I mean, one of the reasons software, lots of software is crap, is that there's no clear idea of what it's trying to achieve. Sometimes the, w- these calls for submissions are so poorly written, uh, ambiguous, inconsistent, uh, that you have no idea what they're actually asking for. Give me an example. Okay, a very, the, 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 one of the most common ones is they'll say, um, no previous professional production. Well, the word previous, the words no and previous in that sentence have meanings. Okay. Uh, you ask them what they actually mean by a professional production, and then you'll find, oh, some of them mean you know, that it was done in a, a Lort theater or something like that. That's a professional production. Others say it's equity. Others say uh, if, attendant, if, if admission was charged, even to a reading, that's professional. Or if, if anyone gets paid. So, so it's just sort of maddening. You have no idea what they actually want. So that, that's, that's a, a good and very common example.
0: Why don't they bother to tell you what it is they do want? It's there are they have to know that when they say no professional productions, that there is this variation of definitions flying around the playwriting ether. So do they expect all of us playwriters to be what psychic and know what they want?
1: No, I think they just—they—they they, they have in the back of their minds what they want, and they have some notion of what that phrase means to them, and it never occurs to them that it's ambiguous to anyone else. The—that um, that smacks a little bit of arrogance to me. On whose part? Theirs, <laughs> or, or my, or, or my, my insult to them? Um, you know, that's that's just the way it is. Um, and a, another example is. They'll say, we'd like a synopsis. And a synopsis can mean many different things. Uh, it can mean an actual account of who are the characters and what is the main action of the play and blah, blah, blah. It can be fairly lengthy. Uh, or it could just mean, let's have a one-sentence tagline that'll, that'll bring people into the theater. <laughs> uh, they, they just don't say. So, so, so there's one beef, which is that they're not thoughtfully written. And the other beef is that, um, I I should say that the first beef is that they're not logically sensible. They, They don't make much sense.
0: We're back to logic again.
1: We are. And the other beef is that they're sort of thoughtless in the sense that they don't think very hard necessarily about what kind of burden they'll put on the person who's submitting. So another example is they'll often say, uh, you can submit electronically, but it has to be in Word. Well, all script writing programs that I know of can produce, for example, PDF output, but a lot of them don't produce Word. And Word can produce PDF output if you're going to write <clears throat> in Word. So if, if they make this requirement, then you have to either type, retype your program, your your play, into into a Word session, or you have to somehow convert it from PDF to Word, and I, isn't that next
0: to impossible?
1: Yeah, all um, all the ones I've ever tried do not do a, a, cannot be relied on to do a decent job with a stage play. And Why would that, they want it in Word in the first place? I have asked them, and one somewhat reasonable notion is well. Um, you know, we ask for blind submissions but people put their names on them anyway and if they're in Word then we can go in and take their names out and pass them along so, so in that sense uh, forcing you to submit it in Word allows them to allow you to cheat a little bit in meeting the other requirements now being, <clears throat> being hardcore I want to say no just throw all those other guys plays out and leave yours at the top and, of the pile. leave mine at the top of the pile in PDF, which got intended. Right. Okay.
0: Um, yeah, the, the whole word thing seems to me just, uh, and, and this is because I have, a, I have a suspicious, horrible, nasty mind, but it makes it a lot easier for other people to tweak and make changes, and that is not unheard of in this business. Um, It doesn't happen all that much, but when it does, I still find it rather shocking where a playwright will submit a script and somebody will take it. And this is usually a neophyte playwright, someone who doesn't really know much better where where, where their rights begin and end. And for those of you who are wondering about what I'm talking about, go to the Dramatist Guild website immediately, right at this particular moment, and look up the Bill of Rights. That will tell you what your rights are and one of those rights is nobody can touch your work without your permission so not even a period not even a comma they can't change anything um
1: including stage directions which you are supposed to do when i write those stage directions
0: especially gaspari stage directions so when when they say you know let's let's submit it in word I, i get a little leery i generally bypass those um do you submit
1: anyway i have done some yeah
0: and have any of them paid off
1: uh none of them have been accepted (laughs) so i don't know okay
0: um we're gonna leave it at that david gaspari thank you so very 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 much for uh being a guest on on stage off stage and uh do you have
1: a website or someplace we can follow you well first of all if you were just to google my name the website would come up or you can go to my first initial and my last name, and It will come up. And there are selections from plays. There are the full texts of the handful of fiction that I've published. Um, there's essays. There's book reviews.
0: Excellent. We look forward to uh, getting into those. Thank you again, David.
1: Thank you, George.